Hi, I'm Julia Adolph, and welcome to Loose Leaf Notebook, where we will explore the connection between creativity and mental health, nurturing artistry, emotional intelligence, and self-care. I'm a composer, and I will be sharing my own personal creative process and journey towards mental health, as well as inviting other artists and creative individuals to share their own inspiring stories with you. Today, I am joined by composer bassoonist Joy Guidry. Joy has been commissioned by Long Beach Opera, the Jack Quartet, and National Sawdust, and has performed with Alarmal Sound and the International Contemporary Ensemble, to name a few. They won the 2021 Berlin Prize for Young Artists and appeared in the Prototype and Spoleto Festivals. Today, we discuss Joy's critically acclaimed 2022 album Radical Acceptance and how they protect their mental health while exploring works that delve into personal traumatic memories. This episode of Loose Leaf Notebook is supported by New Music USA and featured on New Music Box. Hi, Joy! Hey! How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Good. It's so great to finally meet you. I know. Same, same. So can you tell me about the genesis of Radical Acceptance? Yeah, I guess the album idea came from um, just focusing on storyline. I wanted to tell a story about kind of extending from the EP I did in 2020. So, and that EP was really about talking about when I found out I had bipolar disorder and dealing with mental health and family stuff and ending kind of like in a better place in a way and then I thought about like okay I want to get into more in detail and then a label reached out to me to fund it and everything and I was like oh shit okay the story story is like how did I get here it was in 2020 um with corona like so many people's origin story now um I ended up getting corona in March 2020 so like OG corona and it really whipped my ass um so I started therapy um, again, and um, I stayed in it for a long time, and they diagnosed me with PTSD, and I was like, another diagnosis? You know, I was really upset about it, because I was like, I feel like I have so much going against me already. Like, why is there another thing? But I've kind of, I'm not going to say I found the beauty in it, but I did find peace within it, um, because it was just another explanation on why, like, oh my God, sometimes I get so overstimulated and I don't know what this means. I ended up having to switch therapists when I got back to New York and I was with Lakende for a while and she taught me about radical acceptance, like the term and like how it is just, um, you know, just accepting things in my life that I can't change. Like I can change the way I see my body and love myself, but like realistically, I'm probably not going to change all of the, I don't know, billions of people on earth, how they see fatness and blackness and black trans people, you know, um, and all of this. So she was basically saying like, you need to do what you can do to make sure that like you're living a good life and comfortable with yourself, comfortable with your life and not putting yourself in certain situations, you know, like with family, I feel like everyone has a very interesting relationship with their family. And for me, I have just learned, okay, I'm just not bringing these subjects up with my family because I want peace. And so just accepting, like, you know, I can't talk to you about that or accepting that, like, I have certain shirts in my wardrobe that will never see the light of day. And that is okay. You know, I can wear it around my house, but I just am not comfortable with it. And um, 
when the label was asking me like oh what do you want to talk about i really thought about it and um i was like oh i want to tell these stories and i didn't really know what it was going to be and then jasmine sullivan came out with hotels and it you know it just is one of the best albums I've ever heard in my entire life. And um, it's just nine different stories, I believe, of black women talking about their love life, their sex life, and just being so open. And there's never really been an album like that before. So the way it was structured, I was like, oh, my God. Okay, that's it. I, I know what I'm doing. I have the inspiration. So I ended up making nine stories and telling them with my music um, and starting off the first track with me speaking about kind of like the introduction into this album. It was a journey because with exploring electronic music in my way, um, I've always been drawn to dissonance and spacey ambient music and kind of crunchy things. And I've never really explored melodic content and things like that. So um, I kind of just pushed my own boundaries with this album sonically but also with listening to a lot of um, new types of artists and music like experimental R&B and uh, commercial hip hop, just a lot of forms of black music that I've never heard before. I was like, oh, my God, am I good enough? Like, am I is this music cool enough? And I had like a lot of existential dread. And um, I was like, what is the point of my music? Like, who am I? And then I just I worked with my mentor, Lisa Harris, like all the time. She's like my big sister. Um, and she just really grounded me. It was like, okay, that artist you like, no one can do what they do because that's who they are. And then she was like, no one can do what you do because you're joy. And I was like, oh my God, that's so true. So, um, once I got past all that, (laughs) I could really write the music. Yeah. That's kind of how this album came about. Wow. Okay. So I have a lot of questions. We have a lot to dive into. (laughs) Um, I love what you said about you know, sort of understanding that you are the only person that can express the music of you, right, of your voice. When I listened to your album, I felt like you have a very unique voice. And what makes it unique is I I hear all of these very disparate influences coming through and sort of like filtering through your lens or like a prism. I was surprised and excited to learn that I, I believe you you started composing fairly recently, right? Yeah, 2019. That's it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you started composing in 2019, and then in 2020 you released your first EP, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Darkness is a Myth? Yes. That's even more mind-boggling to me <laughs> that um, you have a very clear, focused, colorful vision in such a short period of time and and I could hear growth I felt from you know you said 219 was your first big piece is that correct yeah the film yeah let's talk about 219 um to start um which has this beautiful video that you're also in mm-hmm. you've been very open about your struggle with mental health more open than most mm-hmm. um and I would like to hear more about how you evoke those experiences through your music and the technique behind that so let's start with 219 yeah so that was a very long-term project that i had no idea would turn out the way it did bipolar disorder or like mental health disorders um that are not depression because depression is awful um 
but the other side of things of like schizophrenia, bipolar, um, PTSD, and those types of diagnoses, those are not talked about nearly as much as depression is. And if it is, it's like very stigmatized. And it's a lot of um, stereotypes that go with it that are really awful. Um, so I wanted to show the physical aspect of it and how like my body is in pain or how sometimes like, um, I think the last time it happened was in 2021 in August. Um, I was practicing and I suddenly got very ill, like the chills. And I felt like I, I just felt like I was going to pass out. So I like ate and that didn't help. And then I realized like, oh, my God, this is mania. I haven't had like full blown mania in a while. So um, it really caught me off guard. But just kind of showing that like sometimes I'm out of commission and people don't understand it because they're like, it's just mental. I'm like, no, it's not. And that's why we need more ADA. That's why we need more accessibility and um, accommodations and things like that. So that was the basis behind that film, because I really just wanted to tell that part of the story. So in the video, you're, um, which is very beautiful, you're, you're showing, you. to me, it, it looked like a mix of you're clearly in pain physically but it also seemed like you were kind of self-soothing, maybe, mm -hmm. or, um, I mean, it was this kind of beautiful mix, and I felt like, musically, that there was that as well, because we had some of your, your vocalizing, your humming, mm -hmm. which I read is something you do to self-soothe, and then very expressive bassoon. Mm -hmm. Is that kind of what you were going for? Exactly. Yeah, in the film, every time you see the tattoo of, like, Live Your Best Life, it's actually me covering my heart. But each of those, it's like kind of a breath. But as the piece goes on now, there is less breath. I use this Eartha Kitt sample. She's saying how um, she feels like in life, um, sometimes in life she feels like she deserves the abuse she gets and like that she got. And she doesn't know what to do about it. And I did it at the kitchen this fall and I was like screaming. And I was playing with Jesse Cox on percussion and it was like, a lot but it was very well received and like i was afraid like people were like you need to calm down but everyone's like no like it just it people were saying and i also felt like everything i've been trying to say about mental health really came out and making this i realized that i put my body through a lot of re-traumatization um making that so i was like okay i don't want to do that again um but Performing it was very cathartic in a way. After the performance, like people gave me their opinions on it. And one person told me, I feel like you're using your trauma to make money. And I was like, that's a very wild thing to say to someone. Um, and I just kind of asked him, like, what made you come to this conclusion? Um, and what made me different from many other people who tell their story? Because a lot of time people who get to tell their story um, don't look like me in any capacity. So um, he kind of admitted to his anti-blackness in that moment. And um, I just told him, like, these, this is something that isn't told. I've never seen something like this, so I wanted to do it. With that work, I only program it to my own accord. Like, if someone does want that, it has to... The artist fee has to be pretty high, like, no shade, because it's really traumatic to redo. So I only do that piece, like, maybe once every six months now, because it's, it's too much. So you're saying that um, the act of performing it is both cathartic, but also a little bit re-traumatizing for you? 
a little bit. The re-traumatization is not as bad as it used to because I um, put personal boundaries for myself. Um, one of the big ones is the type of audience I'm doing it for. Like, this is not something I would play for a mostly white audience at all. Um, and cause I need to feel like community support around this. And the other is just not making myself scream or, um, even sing or anything or play so sporadically. Um, like musically, there are moments where it gets a little wild, but, um, I don't force myself to go in the head space of trauma anymore. Um, and I used to do that cause I didn't know how else to do it, but now my, I just know how to write music that can do that naturally. So did you used to believe that you had to be in a traumatic mindset or connected to those feelings in order to create music? Yeah, like method acting. I, I thought I really had to do that um, because I, I thought back then the only type of music I could write was like this, very trauma-based music. So those days I like did a lot of noise music and things like that, which is just not really what I do anymore. Um, so the growth is real. <laughs> I still go back to those moments, but in a very different way. When this man said to you that he felt like you were using your trauma for money, what what is your response to that? Today or? Yeah. Yeah, today it's just like I felt like he was projecting his insecurities of not being able to express himself um, mm-hmm. in a clear way because I always have the plan. I just need the platform. And Banff gave me that platform. Um, mm-hmm. And I took it. So, mm-hmm. and now it's something that I'm always very proud to present or send out to a gallery or something. Like the benefit of having that stand alone now is I don't have to perform it. Yeah, like, I wish him the best, but, like, I knew what I was doing. And um, when people, I mean, a lot of people have opinions like that, or um, people have always opinion of anything you do, especially when you're trying to raise awareness for something. Um, But if they're not actively trying to help me or hold me, like, accountable to make something better, I don't care what they're saying. Right. (laughs) Right. So how do you set some of those personal boundaries um, so that you feel safe as an artist expressing yourself, um, whether that's in live performance or with your c- collaborators, especially when you're um, creating work that touches on such um, vulnerable uh, ideas? Yeah, I um, definitely check in with myself. Like if it's a solo thing, I check in with myself and I ask myself if I have to do this. So when I um, do the album live, the first track, just because I have a dick doesn't mean I'm a man. I used to try to force myself to do that track. And I was like, oh, my God, like, what am I even going to talk about? Um, and recently for the Look and Listen Festival. Yeah. So for that, I just didn't do it. I jumped right into the new version of Inner Child that I've been working my ass off on. And I had the best show ever, like mentally. When I was done, I wasn't exhausted emotionally. So, um, setting those parameters or with 219, if like Jesse's playing with me, I check in and I'm like, do you want to do this today? And making sure people are okay, offering support, um, and giving them the chance to bounce out at any moment. I mean, this idea of having a program that's fluid, you know, is so foreign in classical music, but it's quite common everywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's a wonderful thing that that you can kind of jump from piece to piece depending on how you're feeling or mm-hmm. even just the vibe of the room. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So what I'm doing in Berlin is a show called Radical Self-Love, 
which came before the album and it's based off of Sonia Renee Taylor's um, work and she coined the term radical self-love and the opening two pieces was very traumatic subject um, but it's important to this show to this set as I'm rehearsing my set each day I am not working on the first two um, two pieces it's with theremin, which is right here. Um, and I'll do the electronic part and practice the theremin, but the speaking stuff is absolutely not happening. I know I'm going to have to be in a certain headspace to talk about the subject that I am, and I think it's an important subject to bring up, um, but I'm not doing that until it's time. Even in the tech rehearsal, I'm be like, let's just practice the theremin. I'll give you some voice shit, but um, we're just going to do this in the moment. So kind of just giving myself a lot of freedom to know, like, this is your shit. Like you can do it how you want it. And the tech team, you got to communicate with them because you can't just like pull a fast one, but um, letting them know from the beginning of like, this is what's going on. Be open to change in the moment uh, or like day of or hour before. And like, we're good to go. So what is your creative process? It's kind of changing. Um, My creative process happens pretty fast. Um, with the piece, I, even with the bigger commissions I've gotten, it still gets done in like two weeks. I'm not that person that's going to spend months on a piece, like, unless I have no idea how to write for this instrument. Um, I got asked to write for, yeah, I'm not going to say the name of the organization, but I got asked to write a piece for that included piano and I got out of that. I absolutely got out of it. I had no idea how to do that. And I was like, this is a really big commission. I am not doing this for the first time here. I'm so sorry. And so that was just kind of part of my creative practice and process of knowing like, there's kind of, I wouldn't say a lot on the line here, but I do not have the skill level to match my other writing for this very large performance. Um, so knowing when to back out um, is a part of my process. But um, I think a lot about the story. I like to tell a story in every piece, um, every single one. And it helps me ground myself and like just have clear vision. And it's an actual story that I write down. Um, okay. I think a good example is the Lucerne piece that's premiering. It's about the Middle Passage. As soon as I like landed on the story of the Middle Passage and like giving honor to the ancestors that were um, pushed off the ship and voluntarily jumped and died in that way. And like a lot of kids died that way. I mean, it's like horrific. Um, and that part of enslavement history is not talked about like how the migration of sharks changed with the middle passage because they were yeah you know so like that people are kind of like how did sharks get from all the way over there to here you know it's like well everyone um it goes to kind of with the same thing of like george washington did not have wooden teeth like those were teeth of enslaved africans once i had the story and i knew i was like okay i want to try some new shit and they really lucerne really wanted electronics i found um this website that had a lot of sound samples and i started just listening to a lot of different electronic music it has the story of the boat so you hear the waves you hear the wood creaking you hear the chain sliding across the ground um and when they jump off the ship um so I knew I wanted all of those things. And then once I had the resources to do it, it all just fell together. So I give myself a lot of time to figure out the story and really paint it out on um, Adobe software and just like draw the graphic score, which is usually not the one they get. I don't know. Once I have it all, it takes about like a week or even sometimes like three days. Um, but after I finish it, I let it sit. 
And that's why it's usually a two-week process. And I go back, I send it to friends, and they're like, fix this mix or fix that. That's kind of my process. I do rely a lot on my community um, because my ears only work a certain way, you know? Um, And I'm not going to change the entire piece based on someone's opinion, but um, I definitely have, like, my circle of two, three friends that kind of approve all of my music, and I approve theirs and stuff like that. So that's a big, big part of the process. What do you mean your ears only work a certain way? Since the stories are so personal to me, I just gear towards sensitivity to the music um, and not necessarily sometimes how it actually sounds outwardly. Um, So since it is my music, I can just only hear it from my perspective um, as the writer. I don't think I'll, I mean, I can never listen to my music as a listener. I think that's impossible. So like one of my best friends, Caitlin Edwards, um, she listens to all of my music. She'll give me her honest opinion. And sometimes it's kind of hard, you know, you get defensive immediately. Or when Leo, Leo is very descriptive of things. And I'm like, no, but I was doing this here for a reason. And he was like, I get it. But like, it's not giving what you think it's giving. If the listener, if your if your friends are criticizing uh, a certain part or offering a suggestion is is it sort of you want it to be in the service of clearly telling the story as opposed to like a I don't know an opinion a musical opinion exactly yeah if um if it's something in the music they just kind of don't like personally I asked I was like but do you get it and like no it makes sense and I'm like okay thank you that's all I need so does that mean every gesture that you write has an intention Mm mm-hmm yeah these days and that's why I kind of don't like writing for other people. Like, I will take a commission because any money. But it um, is tough because, like, yeah, I've just never written a piece that's just a work, you know, um, that's just different colors and experimenting in that way. It's, it's hard for me to do that, and I don't really like doing that. So, yeah, with the works that are more personal or a personal story of, like, my family or a friend or, you know, anything I really believe in, um, I have to remember to separate myself um, from it and be open to criticism from people that I really trust. How do you translate your personal stories or your personal traumas into music? If a student were to ask you, this terrible thing happened to me, or hey, I have PTSD, how do I channel that into music? What advice would you give? To just not force it. Um, because it's already in your music is because it's who you are. Like, yeah, if someone told me that, I'd be like, that's actually really toxic for you. Like, don't do that. If you're telling a story about it, that's one thing. But I, for me personally, just playing the music is me processing it. Yeah, I would say don't force anything or don't try to put yourself in a mental health space to write this with the aspect of PTSD um, or depression or things, things in that way. But just find a way that is authentic for you to make the music and that is cathartic for you. I think it should just be cathartic. Like, it should never make you feel bad. It should never make you, you should never re-traumatize yourself for any any reason whatsoever. Right. So it's the, the goal is that you're creating the music in order to process or express your feelings. So does that necessarily imply that you're, you're transforming your experience? through writing exactly so like with inner child you hear the hymn and you hear some very beautiful melodic and then you hear a lot of crunchy 
Um, I wasn't thinking about the things that happened to me when I was younger making that track. It was more like, okay, this was like bad shit that happened. How do I put it in here? And it was like, oh, while the hymn is happening or while this other melodic thing is happening, there's crunchiness underneath, which represents the duality, you know, of living with both of those situations at once. Um, Or um, within um, the internal dialogue in my head constantly um, that makes it hard to go to sleep. The section where I'm like playing on my reeds and like buzzing around your head. That's what that represents, you know. But I'm not thinking about the bad things that go through my head. And then in 72 hours, I was forcibly hospitalized. It was like kind of voluntary, but I didn't really know what was going to happen to me. So it was like a lot. And when I was making that track, I wasn't really thinking about like, I want to tell my exact experience of being locked away for three days. It was more so like, okay, what were the sounds I heard? Or like, what is being in a static place um, sound like to me and I made that and there's like very distorted voices in there and it's like just hearing people walk outside of the room you can't really tell what they're saying but I'm not actively thinking about like the memory the bad memory of it it's just like kind of painting the soundscape and the last would be how to breathe while dying which is like I mean it's focused on like suicide prevention basically for me but I'm not thinking about committing suicide while making you know it's like the other direction and like um never romanticizing my mental health or anyone's mental health but like that track I think would be what I answer with like the advice question you asked the hypothetical um because it is about living while dying and that can mean so many different things to so many people because we all struggle with different things but for me it's living with the trauma and bipolar disorder and like Having the days where I'm like, ooh, I really might not see tomorrow. Um, and then the days of like, ooh, I can't wait for tomorrow, you know, <laughs> and think everything in the middle. So, um, and just like finding hope. And that's why like the melodies are very rough and haunting in there. But the story behind it is actually like really not sad. And that's why in that track, it starts with this one melody and it gets picked up in different ways. That's different parts of my gospel, different parts of my story being launched off in different bassoons. Yeah, and it all just kind of comes together into this new melody. Like when all these gospels formed, that's when I made this new story and I could have all of my thoughts form into the life I wanted. And that's when it turns into the more tonal, the more melodic and all of the different soundscapes. And like, I just see all of these tropical birds and tropical colors at the end of it and things like that. And it's like, all of these colors aren't mixing because those gospels, like all this shit is still gonna happen for us in my life. But it's just finding the colors within and, like, all of that stuff. So really emphasizing, like, not focusing on the positive, but I just want to paint the story. I'm not trying to, like, tell you everything that happened. Because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to focus on that. I really identify with how you're describing your process. It's it's like taking an aspect of how you view the world. Um, you know, so for me, I you know, I have anxiety. And so... But again, when I write, it's not about a specific experience of anxiety, but more the sensations and exactly the sounds. And it kind of it turns it into or you turn it into almost not it. Yeah, like an intellectual exercise where you're sort of like, okay, well, how would I this fidgeting? How would I put that into a musical gesture? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's kind of a way of reclaiming that Mm -hmm. experience Mm -hmm. but you're right I mean it's not forced it's just kind of a 
well, this is my experience. This is my personal, this is the most personal experience that I have. So I'm going to create art from that. Um, and it just sort of is a natural, like, occurrence of events, I guess. Exactly. Exactly. No, that's, yes. <laughs> okay. And, like, I found myself almost putting a very, very personal thing into like a verbal thing into one of my pieces once and I was like you are losing your mind like that why would you ever do that to yourself um and I joked about it with myself last night of thinking about that is just doing too much so it's fun getting older and looking back and like my musical ideas maturing but also my emotional boundaries maturing and just remembering like I have the techniques to tell the story without hurting myself or hurting other people so right do you ever feel like what you have shared about your mental health gets in the way of people listening to your music for what it is um no one's ever expressed that to me um but i'm sure yeah there it's that's probably this probably has happened i know the music i write is like some of it i can see being on someone's playlist like every day like grace the ambient one or face to face you know the more spacey things but um i understand i make music that's not like the most palatable like whatever that means and stuff so i think just naturally i've accepted that everyone's not going to listen to my music so if someone has a boundary where like my mental health um projection and processing um just doesn't vibe with them that's okay you know, as long as they come from a place of respect with it and, like, understand why I did it, that's all that matters to me. Yeah, I guess what my question is coming from my own, you know, fear when I was younger that if I were to share publicly that, oh, this piece is, you know, it captures an experience of really intense anxiety, that that's all listeners would be able to think about. Mm -hmm. Um, and that they wouldn't be able to sort of have their own emotional experience. Exactly. Um, And is that something that you think about? Yeah, that's why, like, um, a lot with the album, there's no storyline on Bandcamp or anything. It's like, make your own judgment on it. I used to, like, with the EP, I over-explained, like, everything in it. And then that kind of happened. People were like, oh, wow, I hear your story. And I was like, but what are you hearing? And one of my friends admitted, was like, well, it's kind of hard because I already know what you're writing about. Um, So for most of the tracks, yeah, it's just like the music. And the music has its story. And if someone, like an interview like this or like a really close friend is like, okay, what's going on here? I'll tell them. But I don't really give it all away anymore. Is there something about uh, electronic music that you feel like gives you more space to be your your full self or or different versions of yourself that you don't find in the acoustic space absolutely it helps me um really explore a type of afrofuturism that i really resonate with i have really always resonated with ambient music learning ableton and learning all of the different sounds it's just helped me expand my art in ways i've never thought i'd be able to do um and that's what i'm all about just learning and trying new shit and if it sticks it sticks if it doesn't it doesn't i really like the space it gives me just to try new things and to work on my rhythm and it just i mean it just opens me up to so much of like i mean it's gonna kind of take a different direction but opens so much of like 
the white supremacy that is in our conservatory music education because they make it seem like pop music cinematic music all of this is lesser that shit is hard as fuck um making beats or things like that like that is just not in my wheelhouse and it's incredible how people do that so just exploring different just different forms of music in my diaspora is a lot easier or is just another another way with electronic music that i didn't have before honestly if john cone train lived to 2022 somehow he would have electronic sense music you know <laughs> um so it's just finding new ways to express myself essentially right. yeah do you see yourself uh learning other instruments to incorporate into your sound world yeah and you mentioned this piano commission that you, you didn't want to write for acoustic piano necessarily but are there other instruments yeah, I mean, on the piano thing, that's probably never going to happen, but I, I'm okay with that. Um, but this fall, I'm starting my doctorate at UCSD, and King Britt is there, um, and he does a lot with modular synth, so I'm going to take that class. Wind instruments and stuff? Um, probably flute. Um, I used to play saxophone, and the whole Boehm system of fingerings, is like, it makes it easier to kind of pick up again, but I would say the recent obsession has been banjo. Um, and just learning all about it, um, and the history of it coming, you know, from West Africa and all these things, it really has inspired me, especially since my family is from Louisiana, like the country part of Louisiana and Texas and stuff. So you're getting your doctorate in composition? No, I'm getting in contemporary performance. Um, I briefly studied, um, composition with Jesse Montgomery at Manus. Uh, ended up not finishing the degree, but, um, I just learned from my personal sake i just don't really enjoy studying composition and she was literally one of the best teachers i've ever had um but it just isn't for me i really missed um playing my bassoon in lessons and like working on that type of music and things like that and working on my own projects what do you wish people knew about bipolar disorder um i wish people knew that it is very physical as long as mental um and that it's a very very difficult disorder to live with and it's manageable with medication but also medication for it is extremely expensive especially if you don't have insurance um and that there's really no support for it like um you can do different types of therapy that work but medication is kind of the only option that i found that works for myself and the medication doesn't wild shit to you sometimes and that you really have to listen to your friends or family members that struggle with this and live with this and understand that like it's different day to day for many people, but also there's, it's kind of like with diabetes, there's type one and type two. It's the same thing with bipolar. Bipolar type one is, a, um, is described as a lot more intense. And again, I am not a therapist, just going off my own research and talking to people, but um, they have more intense and long lasting mania and depressive episodes while in bipolar two, it's more at least from my experience, very heavy on the depressive. And then I have hypomania where it's like kind of shorter, like my mania will last for like a day. Um, and just knowing that everyone has different triggers. Like for me, I don't like coffee dates because I do not drink caffeine because it triggers my mania. Um, I like fully support legalization of weed in every capacity, but I do not smoke it because it will give me psychosis. And like, just, but that kind of goes with anything, any type of sobriety in anyone's mental health or just their livelihood. If someone tells you they're sober, leave it at that. Like, do not question them. Understanding when, like, I say I am angry or I'm mad, like, it's a lot worse on the inside for me. Um, and if I say I need to leave, I need to leave. 
um, and just not really take offense to it and things like that, or if I want alone time or something, but um, to really make a safety plan with your friends because we have to provide community for each other. And again, like, I think the biggest thing I like to say when I talk about this is just make a plan and learn how to support your friends where you are not drained. Um, and that's what I tell every time I meet a new person that wants to be my friend is I'm going to be very open with you what I'm, what I go through, but you need to understand I do not need a savior in any capacity. Like the only person that I will fully trust that much in my life is whoever I marry. Um, if I get married. So yeah, but I just tell new friends, like, do not try to save me. If I need saving, I will reach out to you, but do not go above and beyond all the time because it's just tiring. You're going to tie yourself out early on and this friendship is going to dwindle. Yeah, it's tough. And like just knowing boundaries and everything like that. So just listening and doing your own research, like whatever someone struggles with health wise, physical, mental, all of the above, learn what your friend is going through. Like do not half ass it. Like if your friend has diabetes, you should know how to inject insulin or, you know, you should just know how to help them. I have anaphylaxis. My friends know how to use an EpiPen. They just really know some intense triggers I have. And like, yeah. that's why I don't call everyone my friend. Like friend right. is a very big community for me. I've had friends when my eating disorder acts up, um, they will go to Trader Joe's for me because they know I'm debilitated or just in any aspect. If I'm debilitated, I have a very, very close friend that will go to Trader Joe's without me knowing because he knows what I want. And he's like, I'm on the way, you know, um, and or they'll like order Instacart to my house. Like they go above and beyond. Like they show me what family, um, what chosen family is like, because my family at home does the same shit, you know, but they're just far away. So um, but they just show me what extended family and how to make your own family. And yeah just things like just shown me so much more of what the word community means yeah. what kind of ada accessibility um types of support do you wish were available or would you recommend especially yeah. in the music world let's say um having leniency for rehearsals um and shorter rehearsal times um putting how long the piece is in the program please jesus christ especially with some more experimental works or things like you're really sitting there for a while and it's like, okay, I'm starting to disassociate now and now I'm uncomfortable and I want to leave. Um, always have an intermission. Like no matter how cool something seems, it may be very inaccessible. People need to fidget. People need to go walk around. The musicians need a break as well. That and um, being lenient with dress code like well just getting rid of the gender dress code that's not what ada but yeah and just having education on mental health and things like that with ensembles and especially orchestras because those usually have like much older members in it and just under again just having to talk about triggers and things of that capacity but um definite leniency with like attendance within schools or the workplace and being open to people calling out and having a sub ready you know it's, I mean, times are hard and like people are really struggling and people just need more leniency yeah. and grace. Well, thank you so much thank for joining you. me and being so honest. And I really do love your work and I'm excited to see where your career goes. Thank you. I'm excited to see you too. And thanks for having me. Yeah. So if listeners want to find you and your music, where can they go? Um, I'm on Bandcamp, Joy Gidry on Bandcamp and on Instagram. 
um, J-O-E underscore W-E-Y. And on Spotify is my name as well. So YouTube, all of that. So we're all over there. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thank you. I'm so grateful to Joy for joining us today and reminding me that our health always comes first. Even if you want to or need to explore difficult, dark memories from your past or something you might be struggling with today, it is so important to make sure that you create a safe space for yourself and that you have a community around you in case you do need to reach out for help. So thank you, Joy, for your expressive music and thank you everyone for listening. This episode of Loose Leaf Notebook is supported by New Music USA and featured on New Music Box. Thank you for listening to Loose Leaf Notebook. I'm Julia Adolph, and the music you are hearing is my orchestral work, Dark Sand Sifting Light, performed by the New York Philharmonic with Alan Gilbert conducting. If you'd like to hear some more of my music, you can visit my website at juliaadolph.com or my YouTube channel, which also has video versions of all of these podcasts. Thanks again.